There were 172 days between August 15, 1969 and February 3, 1970. And those 172 days were two significant cultural moments in our nation's history. One is very well known, one not so much. August 15, 1969, Woodstock took the world by storm as 400,000 young people gathered in upstate New York in a little bitty town in a field to celebrate music. But much lesser known was a moment that occurred on February 3rd, 1970 in the little town of Wilmore, Kentucky, where a normal chapel service at Asbury College went for 185 hours. And God had a moment that sparked a movement in that generation of young people. When you think about the difference between those two moments, Woodstock, which even students today, many of them are familiar with. We just marked the 50-year anniversary of Woodstock this last summer of 2019, but a much lesser known moment that I believe impacted the world and culture much deeper than Woodstock did is the, what's known as the Asbury Revival of 1970 that began in a normal chapel service on February 3rd, 1970. What we're going to be talking about today is what happens when these moments with young people collide with culture. And we're going to be talking about moments that mobilize movements. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Here we are, Season 7 of the Thought Factory Podcast. We're glad you're with us. We can't wait to get into this season. We've got all brand new material as we normally do. One of the things you're going to notice right away that's a little different is I am flying solo for the first few episodes. Jason Brewer's on a little bit of a sabbatical break, but I've got some special co-hosts that will be joining me for each one of these first few episodes of this season. Can't wait to introduce our co-host here in a few minutes. But if you're familiar with what we do, we travel all summer for NTS camp. I personally logged, I think, about 7,500 miles, mainly on the road, some in the air, traveling all over the United States, connecting with students at our summer camps, NTS. We had an amazing summer. We continue to grow. If you are new to what we're doing, check us out. It's ntscamp.com. It stands for Never the Same, NTS Camp. Organization that we represent is Never the Same. So if you check out neverthesame.org, you can find out more about what we're doing and what's happening in our ministry. But we just had this phenomenal, phenomenal summer. And summer is such a, a critical time in youth ministry circles because one of my friends uh, calls it, it's like harvest season for youth ministry. It's where a lot of trips, a lot of events, a lot of relationships are built. And we just came off of, of um, this really fun and impactful summer at NTS Camp, connecting with our friends all over the country, seeing God change lives, seeing so many cool things happen, a lot of momentum for things that we're doing. And uh, we're just glad to look back over the summer with with some great memories we're also though really looking forward to jumping into this season of ministry and this season of the podcast we're glad that you're with us we hope you go back and check out some of our uh, latest episodes we recorded uh, our last i think 
that was released in May. What's really cool is we we look back, Jason and I a few weeks ago looked, and our listenership grows every summer, even though we take a break. So we're glad that those of you that are new to the podcast are jumping in here with us. And one of the things that we talk about here is ministry uh, about students that's for students, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're looking forward to um, you being with us as we're continuing to plow on into some great information and some guests. And we do research, which we did this summer. We'll be using that research from students themselves, several thousand of them from around the country, to guide a lot of our conversations that we'll be having in this season and also in season eight, which will be after Christmas. And uh, we're going into something pretty phenomenal next year. And if you've been familiar with our podcast, you've heard us talk about it, but it's something called Claim Your Campus 2020. This event that will be happening on July 4th weekend of 2020 in Kansas, in a field at a place where we are gathering 100,000 students from 10,000 schools to be talking about how we can help these students make a difference with Christ and sharing the gospel on all those school campuses that will be represented at this event. Our goal for Claim Your Campus 2020 is to equip these students to be able to pray at their school once a week, to know how to verbally share their faith with their friends, and to do something to serve on their campus. Pray, share, and care. Those three simple ideas. There'll be artists joining us, artists like For King and Country, and many others that have come on board. And it will be a festival-type atmosphere with an equipping purpose. There's never been an event done quite like this, and it'll be a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. We hope that you consider being a part of this, what we believe will be a historic moment in our nation. And if you're listening to this and you're an adult, find out more, claimyourcampus2020.com. Learn how you can be an advocate for one school in your community and help get students to this important and phenomenal event that will be happening. So that's claimyourcampus2020.com. We're going to be talking about that a lot this year because uh, it's not only us, but it's 48 other organizations so far that have come on board for this event that will be happening July 4th weekend, 2020. And so we hope that you can be there with us to celebrate what God's going to do in this generation that moment. So without further ado, let me get into what we're doing today and introduce uh, my co-host for this episode. We're talking about moments that mobilize movements, and today my co-host is none other than Phil Joel of Newsboys fame. If you're familiar with the band Newsboys, he uh, joined the Newsboys and then took a little bit of time off, I think for about 12 or 13 years, he might tell us that here. And then recently rejoined with Newsboys United and is on tour with Newsboys United. Also author of the book Redwoods and Whales, which is a great book for youth workers. I would encourage you to pick that up. And Phil comes um, to us today having literally performed and stood in front of millions of people, young people, youth workers, people all over the world, and sharing of these thoughts about what happens when a moment mobilizes into a movement. He's going to be sharing some of his personal reflections on that, as well as a discussion about these two moments that we've already talked about, Woodstock and the Asbury Revival. So we're excited to get into that today. Phil Joel, it's good to have you with us, my friend, and we're going to jump into some exciting stuff, but uh, thanks for being with us today. 
Oh, you're welcome. This is going to be fun. So we're talking about a couple couple moments here that are linked. The first one, August 15th, 1969, a little music festival happened. Let's talk about Woodstock. Little little music festival outside of New York. Oh, well, obviously I wasn't born around that time. But um, I remember being given, when I was a teenager, the, the live album that was recorded uh, at that at that music festival. And uh, there was a documentary made after it. Uh, after it as uh, about it as well um and anyway i remember listening to this record just going this is this is killer and it, it went on to become i think you know still is one of the tops top selling live albums of all time and um there were the most amazing bands on there santana and you know hendrix of course was there the who played at it um jefferson airplane gosh there was um, joan Baez. who else was there yeah joe, oh, Sly, joe cocker yeah joe, joe cocker. cocker was there Sly and the Family Stone. It was, I mean, it was a pretty serious lineup. Um, well, I mean, you know, I think those bands actually, that was actually a big launch for a lot of those bands at that time because they didn't expect as many people to be at that festival. I mean, it was going to be, you know, it was happening. They had The Who there and Hendrix, who were big, big time. Um, but they didn't expect as many people to turn up as as turned up. I mean, 400,000. Yeah, they can't, they can't. They still can't count it. You know, I mean, I think yeah. it's, you know, it's between four hundred and five hundred thousand is what they estimated. And um, you know, you see the aerial footage of it. It was just an incredible um, event that no one knew was you know going to blow up and really turn into. Uh, it was really the the beginning point, the moment that 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 uh, tagged that generation, the counterculture generation. You know, it really, it really, I kind of galvanized. I think what that generation was about and it, it I made them realize man there's a lot of us and we have a voice and um you know they they headed in their their hippie-ish direction you know after that and uh, uh you know quite honestly i think they were heading in, in certain directions in, in a good way but at the end of the day you know that it uh Without God in the middle of it all, it's you know, yeah, uh, God's love in the middle of it all is going to fall apart. But well, um, it was it was long hair and bell bottoms, basically, right? Does that sound familiar? It does. It does. Some of us yeah. still do that. I know. Today, Who? I'm not going to mention. Any, I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> but yeah, you know that. I think what you said to me, as I see it, that was the legacy of Woodstock. Is that the music was obviously just incredible, but it was what it did to unite that generation. It, it seems to me like you had all these people, you know, of that age that all felt the same, but when they were all together, it was like, oh my goodness, we have a voice. We all feel the same. And yeah. I think that moment really defined not only that generation, but it seemed to really define a course of American history culturally. Yeah. What happened there at Woodstock? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I think it it um, it stirred the entire nation at the time. I mean, all sorts of tumultuous things were going on, 1969. Um, uh, but you know, and of course, at that point, there wasn't <laughs> social media or the internet or all these kinds of things where where uh, I, and I, where people sort of gather. Um, and so this was the massive sort of. It was a statement being made. I think, like, hey, we want to we want to do things differently. We want to live our lives differently. Um, and yeah, it must have been a pretty powerful thing for all of that half a million 
kids to be involved in, to look at one another and go, hey, we can do this. Maybe we can maybe we can move into the future and do things differently um, in, a, in a counterculture kind of way. Um, you know, and some good came from it and some some not so good. Yeah. But, uh, it, definitely, it definitely stirred a movement, you know, in, in America and probably in the world, you know, all eyes are on America um, at that time too, so. And that, and and then from that, you know, I, I, one of the things that 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 started not not long after that moment of Woodstock was a young student um, named Janine who went to a small little school in Kentucky. She went to Asbury College. She was a junior, and she had a heart for her school, and she started praying, and then she got five other friends to join her. And they just began spending their days, they committed to, to get up 30 minutes early, spend time in the Word and prayer, and they wrote down what they um, observed and what they learned as they read the Bible, and they got together on a regular basis. I think Weekly shared that. That morphed, and pretty soon five other groups did the same thing, so I think now they had 36. Hmm. And then they presented at their chapel. So this started in the fall of 1969, Nobody, I mean, nobody knew what was happening or what that would turn into. But what happened was this group began meeting and asking God to meet them um, at their school at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Small little town, small little college, insignificant in terms of, you know, not well known, nothing like Woodstock, didn't have the publicity, the promotion. And, And then on February 3rd, 1970, so... Putting it in context, this prayer little group and movement started by this one student started in the fall of 1969, probably just a matter of a handful of days after Woodstock. But 172 days after Woodstock, as this little prayer movement grew at Asbury, on February 3rd, 1970, God did something very special at this what was scheduled to be like a normal I believe it was Wednesday chapel service that went for the next 185 hours straight as students confessed, as they worshiped, as people shared and and really were very vulnerable in that chapel service to, to share things in their lives that they were confessing that, that God had showed them. And God met with them in such a significant way that uh, it spread— um, even in national media and the news, but also students from all over the country. In fact, Jason, our you know regular co-host, his dad, who was a student at Houghton College in New York, another mm-hmm. Christian college from a different part of the country, drove to Kentucky just to see what God was doing. And this sparked a movement across the nation that I believe has had a significant impact in our culture. And what I think is interesting, Phil, is that these two moments in time, Woodstock and Asbury, happen a few days apart within you know the same year and mm-hmm. god used each of these moments to mobilize movements so so woodstock we talked about that countercultural movement but then something else sparked in the 70s kind of on the other side of the equation that's something called the jesus movement yeah yeah it did it was um larry norman randy stonehill all those um uh, second chapter of acts i think was a part of that whole bit um yeah i mean gosh i i kind of you know i have these moments sometimes i'm like man i wish i could have been there and seen what that was all about you know i mean i'm 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 sort of a direct descendant if you will of uh of those forefathers of of contemporary christian music you know they were just 
they were encountering God and writing about it and singing about it and sharing. And, and artists who were mainstream artists, you know, had record deals there, just started writing about Jesus, this Jesus they'd met. And bam, the Jesus movement over there in uh, uh, Southern California began. You know, I think Calvary Chapels um, was born out of that whole movement. And yes. uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of wild stuff, you know. Um, again, I wish, uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds like, uh, it, you know, it wasn't so much about a, we have an industry now, you know, this Christian music kind of industry, if you will, you know, we, it was, it, but it was seemed like that back then was just so raw and so honest. And so not that it isn't honest now, but it was just so, uh, from what I hear stories of, you know, when I've met different guys who were, were there, they just said, man, we would do these shows and there'd be 20 of us and we would, all be sharing the stage and playing for each other and just worshiping and doing our thing. And there was no sort of like headliner, if you would, you know, God was the headliner. It was mm, yeah. kind of mind blowing. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that there was a, that Jesus movement of the seventies then really burst modern Christian music. You know, what was known and still referred to CCM contemporary Christian music, which, you know, kind of now has morphed into different things. Um, but it, yeah, it started uh, and it impacted the industry that you're in, music, and, it, and it's impacted all of culture. And it reminds me that, um, you know, when you look back to that, it all links together. But but one student who had a, a heart for her school campus and yeah. I, I, you know, and hearing your testimony, uh, she could never have imagined how that simple, pure heart for God meeting with her and meeting her fellow classmates on her campus what that would do to impact the world. But it reminds me of this quote that, that we talk about around here in our ministry is that, um, you know, history is shaped by the intercessor mm. and the person that's praying, the nameless, faceless mob of believers throughout the centuries that never sit on stage, their name will never be remembered in history books, but in, you know, in the, in the history books of heaven, they'll be known and they are known because they were the ones that shaped history. And, and I go back and, and pinpoint someone like Janine, you know, a, a junior at her college that had a heart for, um, for her school. And, and that's what we're looking at today. You know, we think about one person with a singular passion and a heart and, and, you know, willing to to go before God in prayer. And I heard hearing her share a story, she's like, I didn't really know how to pray. I just had a, a desire for God to do something. And I loved hearing that because <laughs> I think sometimes we think, well, we have to know what we're saying and we have to, you know, know the right people and we have to know the Bible and we have to know all this stuff. And God doesn't need all that stuff. He just needs someone whose heart is pure mm -hmm. before him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because I know in my life, any sort of major moves of God, major you know, moments that, 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 that instigate sort of a, a movement in, in my life. Uh, they've always been started with prayer. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's me petitioning the Lord, crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, I, you know, I need you. I want you to give me direction, show me. And, and I think about um, how I actually came to be here in the U S um, and playing for newsboys and that whole thing. I was, I was in a, in a space where I, I knew God wanted to 
do something, something had something in store for me. I didn't exactly know what it was. And I began crying out to him saying, Lord, I, need, I, I, I want what you have for me, whatever it is. I want what you have for me. And, um, and he began to show me some things and I, and I then began to sort of prepare. I didn't exactly know what I was preparing for. Um, but I began selling stuff and then I had this, you know, like an inkling. Someone mentioned something about the U S and, and Christian music there, um, here in the U S and cause in New Zealand, I didn't really know much about it, but I knew I wanted to do music and, and share, uh, you know, share with people what, what God has done in my life. And so I began to prepare and, you know, I, I got a passport and, uh, I'd never been on a big airplane, but I got a passport and I, I, I got a visa, you know, an extra three months or six months in total to be in the U S. Um, and then I, um, I just kind of waited. I was waiting, but I, I felt like I was positioning myself for something. Hmm. And I continued to pray, continued to prepare, but uh, all the while I was sort of positioning for something. And then a phone call came at three o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was a newsboy. And they said, "Hey, we we need a bass player. Can you play bass? Can you be on a plane in 36 hours and fly to Los Angeles?" And I said, "Yes, I can." and and that you know my life was changed after that but it all began with me really crying out to the lord saying lord use me do whatever it is you want with my life i'm ready and um then him start starting to show me things you know bits and pieces kind of and and continue to lead me in preparation and um and you know boom away we went a moment happened that you know changed the course of my life um, but it all began, you know, with petitioning the Lord with prayer, you know. And so I think I see the same things in, in the Asbury you know, revival, the Welsh revival, even the Jesus movement. I'm sure it began with just people just crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, meet our generation, do something, move. We're ready. We're, we're positioning ourselves to, to see you do something great. And, uh, man, he does. Yeah. <laughs> he does. You know, anytime I feel like I'm slipping into, like, I don't know, fear or whatever I, I or i i always look back on that moment and go hang on god can do whatever he wants i've seen him do whatever he wants in my life i've seen him make someone pick up a phone and call me on the other side of the world at 3 a.m in the morning um so all i need to do is is just stay faithful continue to prepare for whatever it is um and position myself to see the lord move and he does we're here talking about moments that mobilize movements and um, Phil, you okay. mentioned you mentioned that moment when you got that call from the newsboys. That was a moment that you know, was in the phrase that moment mobilizing the movement. You've been in front of literally millions of people performing. You've seen and done so much, and it all started with that phone call. That moment that I know, you know, in conversations with you, you've pointed to to that significant moment. Let's talk about some other moments in your life that that stand out to you. There have been times that you can you can point back and say that was a moment that maybe it did or didn't at the time seem significant, but you would point back and say that was a that was a game changer in in terms of the trajectory and the direction of, of my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember you know when I was fourteen years old, um, attending a Luis Palau crusade in Auckland, New Zealand, where I'm, where I'm from, you know, and um, I went along to that i'd grown up in church you know and um and whatnot but i remember going to that event 
was kind of an expectancy in my heart. I kind of knew what I was going to do. I knew that when it came down to it and the, uh, you know, this invitation was given, I was going to roll down the front. Mm. And sure enough, you know, it came and he, he um, you know, invited anyone who wanted to receive the Lord, you know, to come on down and boom, where I went. And, um, and it was me kind of, you know, putting a stake in the ground. I don't remember what I pray, prayed or what exactly, you know, transpired as I was down the front there. But I know in my heart it was me just saying, yes, yes, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. And, um, you know, thus began a whole new chapter in my life or a whole, you know, new direction. Um, so I, 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 so I, I love those moments and I love that, the, you know, that we get to be a part of facilitating those moments. And like tonight, you know, playing here in, in Ohio and, um, you know, we don't know who's going to be out there, but we just hope that this moment tonight, you know, turns into a, a, an absolute change of, of course for, for people's lives, um, you know, change. So I just, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of, it's fun to be a part of, of facilitating those moments. Yeah. A lot of times those moments that you mentioned, the Luis Palau event when you're 14, you know, for me, it was a, a Billy Graham event when I was nine years old and really for the first time felt like I made my decision to follow Jesus for me. And I've yeah. looked at other moments and a lot of times those have been connected to events as we're sitting here talking. Um, I was just reflecting that earlier today as we're recording this, I was meeting with the pastor and he was asking me about just some of the course of events that have um, brought us to where we are and me to where I am today. And and I was telling him that I have this weird thing with November 1st. And so on November 1st, 1998, I moved to and started work at a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I still live. So 21 years ago now. And then um, it was 10 years later to the day. And I didn't think about this at the time, but I recognized it later. I was at a youth specialist conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and God downloaded the vision for me to leave my job as a local church pastor and to start the ministry never the same. So I came home and processed that, and over the course of the next few months, tried to figure that out, tried to be faithful to that. Ended up working throughout the next summer in my job there at the church and then took a a 40-day sabbatical, and then randomly my first day at Never the Same was November 1st, 2009. So it ended up being one year later to the day and wow. uh, and that day, November 1st, when we had an arson at our office, um, at our ministry office back in uh, 2015, that um, left us uh, without a place, kind of homeless as a ministry, and for the next few months. And then we we're looking at buildings. A building ran across my desk. I looked at it, and it looked interesting, but then I saw that it was available November 1st of 2015 and that because that date just caught my eye I, I kind of perked up and thought hmm and then that ended up being where I'm sitting right now in the same building that that we've been using and so God's crazy used yeah that moment for me but you know Phil you were one of the first people when we met that that I shared you know this idea of this event claim your campus 2020 in this moment and that that phrase moments that mobilize movements have you know that phrase is just been ringing in our ears as we're looking forward to July 4th weekend, 2020. Um, 
talk a little bit about how you feel about why this event is significant for you and what you think it could be. Right. Well, like I say, I mean, I just, man, I love, uh, well, first off, I just love this next generation coming through. You know, they're amazing. They're an amazing bunch. I mean, they've got a lot of challenges, obviously, in front of them. You know, there's different sort of things coming coming after their hearts. Um, but they just have this wonderful energy and potential. And, man, I just want to see them, this generation, just fall in love with the Lord and have an encounter with God that, that changes the trajectory of their lives. And so to be a part of Claim Your Campus 2020, I just – I'm just expectant, you know, and I'm praying that the Lord would do what only he can do, which is just zap people's hearts. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he zapped the mind and continues to. And um, um, if kids can have an encounter with the Lord out in that field, it'll change everything. You know, you can deliver kids, you know, as much information as you want, but a true encounter with the living God. That's a whole. That's a game changer. That's a whole different different story. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm just excited. Well, it it reminded me of a conversation with with our friend, you know, Phil Darren. Uh, recently, we we're talking about you know the state of culture, and a lot of times as a as a youth worker, I just get so protective over students in this generation with all the things they're facing, and you know the wave of of anxiety and suicide and depression and other things, the confusion about who they are and the lies they believe and the the myths about God as, as a loving father to them. And, you know, Darren reminded me, uh, in the midst of all that anxiousness that we might feel about, you know, just having an overprotective heart for these kids, he just said, you know, Jeff, all it takes, just what you said, Phil, all it takes is a moment. All mm-hmm. God needs is a moment. And I just believe that's so true. It's been true in my life. I see it true um, every summer at NTS camp. We see God have a moment, and then years later, I hear from these students that go, my life was changed in a moment. Mm. And it was, like you said, it was an encounter with the living God. And and mm. so that idea of these moments that mobilize movements, it's a, it's not just a corporate thing like, well, this is going to spark this, you know, this mobilization in this moment in a field on July 4th for Claim Your Campus 21. It's going to spark this prayer movement. And we believe and foresee that it will, but I think even more importantly is that it will spark a movement within the life of a young person to continue to to follow hard after this God that loves them so much and to walk with him as a result of that moment. And that's what we're I know you I know your heart. That's that's what we're the most excited about is what will happen in the life of a young person when they experience him in that field. Yeah. Yeah, and what ha- and 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 the ripple effect of that, you just we just don't know. That stuff gets me excited. I think I get more excited about some of the things that we just don't know than what we do. You know, we get to see, we hear these you know stories. Well, you know, my life changed there, but but think about this. Okay, that person's life may have changed. They had an encounter with God, and it, and it changed the trajectory of their life, and they, they began to walk with the Lord. What happens to that next year? You know, and they go on to have kids, and hopefully they're passing their faith on to those kids in a real way, in an honest way. Um, and and then then you start talking. This is generational stuff. We, you know, this, this goes far beyond um, that moment. And I, I don't know. This stuff gets me really jazzed. Yeah, yeah, me too. And Phil, I I just appreciate so much your heart 
for this generation and what you continue to do on their behalf. We're excited again to have you there leading worship for us. I've seen you in that zone and God has gifted you um, just beyond being a performer to be a worship leader. We're glad that you're going to be a part of it. As you're listening to this, I want to encourage you to go to claimyourcampus2020.com. That, that's where you can go to learn information about this event. You can also sign up to become an advocate, and that's where it all starts. We need advocates that will represent these schools because students will not be able to go to this event unless there is an advocate signed up on behalf of, of their school. And so it's important. It's $99 to unlock that school and to become an advocate. That gets you a ticket to the event. That puts you in the stream where we can begin to communicate with you and help encourage you to network and know how to pray and get students there to the event. For students, it's only $49 for the event itself. Um, we just want to make it accessible for everyone to be able to go. It, we believe it will be a watershed moment in this generation for them to meet with God. 10,000 schools, 100,000 students, we want you to be there with us for Claim Your Campus 2020, July 4th weekend. Phil, we're grateful for your time today. Thanks for kind of co-hosting with me and look forward to seeing you there, my brother. Yeah, can't wait, man. Well, thanks for having me. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.